Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phones. And my friend, I need you to console me. Last night, I was out on my patio grilling some pork thinking of having a glass of wine on the patio and this morning I woke up to four or five inches of snow in my year in my yard what's this going to do to the fishing I'll tell you Terry uh it's that time of year where I don't think you can predict the weather and you know I also think it's it's mother nature's traditional laughter you know the second it's ready to get the boats out a lot of times we get the uh the nastiest weather and I'm the same way uh you know, great morning, some wind, cold, and yeah, woke up to woke up to snow. But fishing is, is good, Terry. Uh, Chatfield Reservoir did, uh, you know, what people, despite they might know or believe, did a silent opening yesterday for boats. The main kickoff of the boating season was today, but they wanted to do a little trickle start. So uh, some boats got out yesterday, and I can tell you, Terry, fishing was absolutely phenomenal. So I know a lot of people are catching walleyes from shore, catching bass from shore, catching trout from shore. I was able to get out on the boat. Uh, we had an awesome 42 fish day. Uh, of those 42 walleyes, 41 were post-spawn. Uh, one fish was pre-spawn um i did not target any spawning fish but even despite uh kind of crazy storms and weird pressure fishing was on terry so i think uh, i think we're at that point in time where we have enough post-spawn fish at least at your main fisheries your cherry creek your pueblo your chatfield i think it is it is game time for uh for a walleye spring oh, i think so and you know one of the things about spring spring can offer some of the most incredible opportunities of the year especially for big fish uh, but it also can offer some of the most frustrating moments because if it can be on fire one hour and from hour to hour even it can change so much one thing i did want to ask you before we get into a little more details is they're not taking spawn at chatfield so does that mean the dam area is accessible you know, Terry, yeah, so so they're they're putting all their focus as far as Colorado Parks and Wildlife on Cherry Creek and Pueblo, and they are saying they're having outstanding numbers. Uh, I talked to the folks at Cherry Creek yesterday, and they are pulling really solid fish, good numbers, uh, getting a great ratio of male-female, so sometimes that can always be a pain. You get, you know, a couple days of more females or more males. They're getting a really good ratio, uh, so things are good. So we're still trying not to abuse the, the spawning fish at Chatfield, uh, but, but they are not having that closure like they they normally would on that damn face so so that is the case uh but again we're we're encouraging everybody you know targeting spawning walleyes can probably be about one of the most frustrating techniques because you literally got to put it on their head and and you know knock on the door opposed to those pre and post spawn fish that are actively feeding that are going strong so uh you know i think a lot of anglers will find a little bit more uh less frustration targeting those, those pre and even more so the post spawn fish those post spawn fish um they're aggressive they're hungry and, and they're taking the bait well, you know, one of the things people read in the magazines, and you and I are guilty having contributed to numbers of these magazines over the years. A lot of it focuses on the big reservoirs or the big lakes in the Midwest. And we'll talk about the walleyes are done spawning, and then it's hard to keep up with them because now they migrate to where they're going to feed. Well, in Chatfield and Cherry Creek, that migration might only be a couple hundred feet. 
That, that's it. We joke about it because, I mean, you know, we, we even, you know, all our buddies at In Fisherman, people we've worked with and, you know, supported for 20 years, Terry, we always talk about the break between, you know, spawn and post-spawn. And some people even call it a recovery. Um, you know, and when in reality, it's not necessarily a recovery. It's more just the time it takes the fish to get from their spawn site to where their feeding area is. And, you know, the, the biggest spawn in the world is the Detroit River. You know, millions and millions of walleye swim the Detroit River to spawn. And then when they leave there, you know, they're migrating at least six to eight miles to Breast Bay to the first feeding ground. And then from there, they move over to the islands. So, you know, it's, you know, 10 to 20 mile migrations, which might take them a week or two. And that's where we kind of learn to hear about this recovery time after spawn. But in reality, the second they're done spawning, these fish immediately feed. And, you know, we're so fortunate, like uh, a Chatfield Cherry Creek, when they're done spawning, they have all of about a two and a half minute swim um, to where their feeding grounds are, and, and it is game on. Um, you know, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I'd really love to talk about the post-spawn fishing, because I think that's where so many anglers get caught up on casting banks, casting inlets, looking for spawning fish. And again, when you learn to target those post-spawn fish, it is just so much easier to catch those fish. So we kind of look for two things in a post-spawn state. Um, and post-spawn kind of comes in, in a two-part series. The first portion of the post-spawn is about easy food. And typically we catch those fish in kind of a suspended state um, or, or regardless, you know, maybe even if they're locating somewhat near bottom, they're on flat. So they're on mud flats, shallow or deep. So almost always the first portion of the post-spawn, we're targeting these fish trolling. So whether we're at lead core and small presentations, like at Cherry Creek where we're down in the mud, or we're at Cherry or at like Chatfield where we're in shallower mud areas and we're trolling suspended baits, the first half of that post-spawn, we're almost always going to be trolling for these fish. And then as they regain some weight, as they regain some strength um, towards the tail end of the post-spawn, we start to see these fish kind of brush up on structure and that's where you start seeing you know some jigs working and some live bait but we we always say it for the first three weeks of april so from right now and for the first you know three weeks of april i would put a major focus on trolling um just for the fact that it's a way to put a bait in front of these fish and it's going to help you catch more fish and then when we get to the tail end of april um is when we really start seeing more of those jigs come into effect but if you want to catch big walleyes catch lots of walleyes daytime and nighttime uh, trolling is, is simply the way. I'm actually at Cabela today uh, down in Lone Tree talking about trolling techniques for walleye. And with uh, Chatfield opening up with the kind of their main, you know, opening day today, uh, the timing couldn't be more perfect for that. You know, I have a quick question for you. And we talk about they're in the mud flats, and we used to get used to that, like on Malax and stuff when I was back in Minnesota. And the, I know people think they immediately go for bait fish, and there's there's one or two reasons those fish are going to be in mudflats. One is they're feeding on bloodworms, which almost every fish in the world eats bloodworms, or the bait is they're feeding on bloodworms. Do you have a feel? Is it both or one or the other? You know, I typically almost always see these fish on, on a combination of bloodworms and midges. And I think that this is a, a mistaken thing. So when Cherry Creek is probably the most predominant in our area or our region, really, um, of that mudflat lead core bite. And when we talk to anglers, everybody's doing it. You know, when Cherry Creek kicks off the boating um, and gets going here next week, you're going to see, I mean, literally dozens, if not hundreds of anglers 
trolling lead core in the mud flats in the middle of the lake, um, catching walleyes. And so many of them don't know why. They see them sitting out there. A lot of them I've heard people say they're just recovering or they're relaxing or, you know, that's where they're at. But in reality, those fish are facing down and they're feeding on midges and bloodworms. The reason for that, that's about the highest nutrition rate that a fish could ever get. You know, when they have to feed on a shad, for example, they're, number one, swimming around. So they're exerting a lot of energy for those shad. Number two, once they grab that shad, there's a lot of digestion that takes place, metabolism burn, um, and the overall nutrient level is good, but it's not great. When they're feeding on bug life, you know, blood worms, bitches, there is, like, no exertion of the digestion rate to process that. It is 100% protein and hardly any exertion, you know, exerted to get that food source. So when it's a post-spawn state, I think statewide we have this bite. Everybody finds it at Cherry Creek. It's kind of been pronounced at Cherry Creek, but Chatfield yesterday had a mud flat bite going strong right in front of Roxborough Curve or Plum Creek. There's a really nice 16 to 20-foot flat. It's mud that holds a ton of those bloodworms and midges. Then over kind of where the two roadbeds come together in front of Eagle Cove, uh, there's a massive mud flat right there that, that has those midges and bloodworms. There's a pile of walleye sitting there. We see it very strong at, at Pueblo and Boggs Flat. Um, so all of our fisheries have that bite. Bar Lake, Jackson, um, just so many anglers don't look for it. They think it's kind of a Cherry Creek exclusive thing. But in reality, if, if you have that mud flat, you're going to need at least 15 feet of water to about 25 feet of water. And that's kind of the, the breaking point of where those midges, you know, spawn out last year and they survive in the mud all winter. Um, that's where those bloodworms are at. So it's kind of a deeper water presentation, but it's the, the most predominant food source they can have and high protein and the fish absolutely love it and then your shallow water bite is more when those fish are, are on the shad so our suspended uh bite where you're chasing warm water those shallow mud flats that warm up the bait fish pile up in that warmer water and that's where you really see that suspended bite taking place so i want to ask you a question and maybe it can maybe you can answer it separately or maybe it can lead you into the type of presentations that people should be using on these mud flats but i wrote the original uh, chapters on the critical, the original critical concept walleye books for in fishermen on the lead core and snap weight trolling. And back then, the lead core was quite a bit bigger. It planed a lot more and it followed the boat a lot more. The new lead cores are much thinner in diameter. Are you finding they fish quite a bit different? You know, Terry, I, I, I'm not. They, they fish different. The dive charts are totally different. Um, but, but I think they're nice. So all the micro leads, the, the true advantages here is that the thinner line gives you a really nice dive chart. So you are gaining a greater depth with less amount of line out, which is a, a, a very positive thing. Um, we're also seeing it nice for the fact that you don't have to have a reel that you feel like you're going saltwater fishing for. You know, back when we were running traditional lead, you had to have a, a large reel if you were going to hold seven eight, nine, ten colors of lead. So it's nice that we can use a normal-sized reel, even a normal line counter, um, to hold lead. So that's great. We still do see quite a good effects of it following the boat. Um, I would say the traditional lead probably follows left and right turns slightly better. Um, as for the micro lead wants to cut those corners just a little bit, but at the end of the day, compared to a super line or a mono or a fluoro, um, even the micro lead still follow contour very well, and they do follow turns uh, much better than the other lines, but probably not quite as good as traditional lead. Uh, but but it's very, very efficient. And lead core takes a little bit of time to learn. A lot of anglers struggle with the speed concept. And lead is 
so conducive to speed. You pick up your speed a tenth of a mile an hour, lead core climbs in the water column. You slow down a tenth of a mile an hour, it sinks in the water column. So speed can be a, a great friend or an enemy with lead core. So boat control is really what leads to a successful lead core angler. But once you get good at it, uh, it's an unbelievable technique for catching all species of fish. Well, you're absolutely right. And people get misconceptions like pulling a diving crankbait without any weight. Your speed has very little effect on the depth that it dives. But when, as soon as you add a snap weight or lead core, it becomes more speed critical than dive uh, curve critical. So what types of presentations are you showing these fish? You know, so when I'm on the, the mud bite, so let's say I'm at Cherry Creek, uh, Chatfield, on those mud, when these bloodworms, when the midges come out of the mud, they wiggle out. So they literally stick their tail out and they wiggle extremely hard, aggressive, left and right to get out of the mud. These fish get very conducive to the sound of that wiggle. They're, you know, they're using their lateral lines. So everything they're doing, they're feeling for that left and right action. So if I'm using a crankbait, I want something with tail wobble. So we use a lot of flicker shad, size four, size five flicker shads. And everybody thinks that these walleyes are taking that flicker shad due to the action, the sound, the, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it is very simply for the fact that a flicker shad puts off the, the tail wobble. So the joint in the bait, even on a non-jointed bait, where that bait moves is about 70% up on the bait. So 30% behind the bill is where the breaking point is on that bait. So it's more focused on a tail wobble, and that's what makes that flicker shad so hot. Um, we're starting to also pull a lot of, like, paddle tails, uh, just walleye jigs that have that really nice tail wobble, um, and that's really conducive to where, like, a stick bait that we normally would use in this cold water for suspended fish, that doesn't have as much tail wobble because it's more of an even spin bait or an even turn bait. Um, so it's not as conducive on those bloodworms and that midge bite. So you want something with tail wobble and you want to keep it literally inches, one, two, three inches off that mud uh, and that tail wobble is going to catch you a lot of fish. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, a lot of times on mud flats, if you can locate pods of fish, uh, a leech on a flip bobber or a leech on a jig can be very effective too. The problem is finding the fish are usually spread out on those mud flats, and you can't get that presentation into a front enough fish. And then once the water starts to warm, we'll see that bait move shallow. But right now, how long? You said we think we got about two, three weeks of this bite? I would say, I mean, I don't say, you know, being that we still have kind of a week left of March, I would say that we are on a month. Uh, of that bite right there. It's really the last week of April, the first week of May, depending on our weather conditions, uh, before we see these fish on structure. So uh, if trolling is not your game, I would look at casting cranks, casting baits. Uh, but as far as I know, so many of us have our best success in May and June, pulling light bait rigs, fishing jigs. So that's our kind of our, our go-to presentation. Um, unfortunately, that is just not the technique right now. So if you want to catch fish, you want to have a great day on the water, uh, it's one of those two. You know, learning to, to, to fish lead core in those deeper basins or a technique, even casting rigs uh, and dragging it in that mud is going to be primary. And then fishing suspended fish uh, in shallow water mud flats. Those are the two techniques that are going to be unbelievably productive over the next month. And again, 42 fish yesterday, I think, speaks for itself. Uh, the, the bite's on. You just got to kind of do what the fish are and go to where the fish are. 30 seconds. What other bites do you see? And if somebody doesn't want to go walleye fishing? 
You know, Terry, it's one of those deals that the mountains are still hot. I had one slower day this week uh, for pike because we had a lot of pressure coming through as storms were moving through, but but lake trout pike are still very strong. We're seeing some big rainbows showing up in spawning sites. Um, so ice in the in the high country is still strong. Uh, 11 mile this week had between 18 and 20 inches. Uh, shorelines were still strong, so there's still good ice in the high country. Uh, but again, with the walleye bite hot, it's kind of, you know, pick your poison which one you want to hit. All right, my friend, people want more information or book a trip, how do they find you? Just go to tightlineoutdoors.com. Uh, I mentioned this in a post the other day. Uh, we have very limited dates, but get a hold of us. Whether you're looking for a late ice trip or an early spring trip, tightlineoutdoors.com or Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. All right, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, Nate Zelensky, always a great resource. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by the folks at uh, Jack's and they just had a new grand opening of one of their stores that's been around, but boy, has it been changed. You want to hear about that. And Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Speaking of Jack's, joining us from the store at 950 East Eisenhower is... is um is uh, Vance Gray. Good morning, Vance. Good morning. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing okay, except I get tongue-tied, which isn't great for a radio <laughs> and a personality, but I'm still mad about the snow in my yard, but other than that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we had enough snow. We can always use the, the, the liquid, but we've had enough snow. That's right. It could rain. I don't have to shovel rain. Hey, but speaking right. of time of the year and everything, you guys are having a great time of the year. You just had a... Well, first of all, we should explain to people... Jack's has three kinds of stores. They have the outdoor gear stores, which are focused on the outdoor gear. They have the farm and ranch stores, which are focused on those type of products. Uh, and then you have combination stores. Now, all the stores have some overlap. But the one at, at um, <clears throat> excuse me, on East Eisenhower, 950s East Eisenhower, has always been a combo store, I think. And it, all of a sudden, it's grown much bigger. Now, you have a bigger store to the west where that Kmart used to be. And that's your West Jacks, and it's a combo store. But Gold's Gym recently left the building that you're in, opening up a huge area, and you guys took that over. And what am I going to see if I walk in there? How different is it? Well, that's correct. We actually have over 30,000 square feet now, and we're actually going to, we are the largest Jacks that's in the company now. Um, the new area has a whole athletic department. Uh, we've opened up the gym. Uh, will be opened up for people to go in, possibly renting out for shooting and stuff like that. We have a full bike department with a bike mechanic, uh, a lot more athletic wear, more shoes. We basically got everything back that uh, we sent to Store 7 when they opened up. Well, and and that would be the fly fishing, because when you opened up that, that other store, you only had room for so much stuff in your store, and you sent the fly fishing gear down to them. But now your both stores are going to have fly fishing, and are you pretty well stocked? Have you recovered that merchandise? I mean, is it a lot in place? Absolutely. We have all the fly tying materials, fly rod and reel combos, poles themselves, reels themselves, anything that you're going to need for the fly fishing we have at both stores now. Uh, with the new location, Terry, we also have, uh, where we're at now here at 950 East Eisenhower, we have an outlet store now that's open. So we've just recently opened that up as well. And what would I find at the outlet store? 
outlet store are going to be items that uh, might be slightly used. Uh, great discounts, great sales, good bargains. Wow, there's so much going on there. One of the things, you've got some activities I want to get to, but before we get to that, one of the things that I think is fantastic is your archery department. Tell people about that. We have a full archery department now with Bowtech in place. Uh, actually, we have uh, in Fort Collins, we have a, an archery range with Bowtech, Lafayette archery range with Bowtech. Same here now at Loveland East. We have in our full archery range with a Bowtech. And we also have an archery range at our location in uh, Broomfield. And how big are these ranges? And uh, are these the kind of thing you can try before you buy, you practice, do you put on events? How do you use those ranges? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you can actually come in and rent a lane. Um, and uh, we actually have had some shoots. Uh, some uh, groups have come in and had their own shoots in there. We have five open lanes. Um, it's it's uh, really nice. It really is. And we do have all the equipment to try and buy. And now that you have a technician there, if you want something, you're getting something tuned on your bow, uh, you're getting something changed, an adjustment made, you can try it right there, right? You don't have to wait to get in the field and say, ah, oh, it's still not quite right and bring it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can take care of it right there at the range. That's what makes now, it super convenient. Now, you've got your re-grand opening going on yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I don't know if the snow has put a little damper, but it'll probably be gone by the end of the day today. So what's going on at the store if I was to get out there? And I am going to try to get out there either today or tomorrow and, and meet you and look at the grand opening. But tell us what we'll see out there. Well, we have all kinds of events going on today. We have uh, music by Rex Lilly. Rex Lilly got music. We'll have freed hot dogs today and tomorrow between 11 and 2. Uh, we do have an archery contest. We have uh, meet and greet and autographs with the Larimer County F Fair and PCR Rodeo Queen. Uh, we have a Cub Cadet Ride and Drive. So we have a tent set up outside with some of our Cub Cadet uh, riding lawnmower tractors, zero turns. So you can jump on one of those and go for a quick ride. Uh, we have a Discmania demo going on for people who love disc golf. We have, um, what else do we have? We have the Keen Boot reps here. Uh, we have a bike test and ride because our, our new bike department, uh, we have a couple of great techs out there. You can come down and get on a bike. Hopefully the snow will be all gone so it won't be like an ice race skating rink. And, and a lot of, uh, I know manufacturers are there and things, but a lot of your people or all your people are really experts in their departments and they can really help you with a lot of things like clothing. We're getting into a transition time of the year. Clothing can be such a challenge this time of the year if you don't really understand layering. And there's going to be somebody there to help you. And I can't help but believe you don't have some pretty good sales tied to, uh, tied to this event. Yeah, that is one of the things I wanted to touch on. We have a great, knowledgeable, and friendly staff. We're striving every day uh, to do the best that we can in knowledge and customer service, and I think that's where uh, that's where we're going to beat everybody else. Now, I know that you're in the outdoor power equipment section of that store, but you also are an avid outdoor person, and you wanted to talk about a little spring fishing that you get into up at Flatirons that you think is going to be taken off here in any minute, any day. Tell us about that. You know, once they get, uh, in, if you want to have some real, a, a lot of really good fun with some catch and release, once these lakes, flat iron, lawn hagler are stocked with uh, uh, stalker trout, it's a great time. Uh, my my favorite bait up there is going to be an orange castmaster, by far. I've had some really good days. 
And you really, once these trout, there's holdover trout to try to come close to shore. Correct. And then there's then there's the stock trout that probably haven't dispersed yet. And these and if you want to keep some fish, these are put and take reservoirs. Don't feel bad about taking a couple home for the pan. But boy, you know, and everybody, we talk a lot on this show about going out and catching trophy pike and trophy walleyes and big bass. But there's a lot of times you just want to go catch some fish. I'm that way. Sometimes I just want to go. I don't want to overthink it. I just want to have a tug on my line. Or you want to take a, a, a kid fishing, a youth, or, or a novice angler that you're just getting started. So you take them out there and you take that, like you said, that orange cast master or something like that. And you almost can just cover an area of shore and not even move around a lot and have some great success. One of the things I like to do up there or those kind of places, if I'm fishing with a couple anglers, is put one line out that has like power bait on it and let it sit on the bottom and then cast around that because that brings the fish in and I can catch them on the other lure. And that can be really effective. So... I know you, you you wander through the stores. The fishing department there well stocked. Very well stocked, and actually, right now, all of our combos, spin cast combos, are thirty percent off, and that includes our ice fishing combos right now too. All thirty percent off, and our knowledgeable staff in the in the fishing department they are top notch. All right, my friend, we're going to let you go, but it sounds like today and tomorrow, good place to be would be the Jacks on nine fifty East Eisenhower. Yeah, come get some free hot dogs and have a good time. All right, Vance, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You, you bet. That's Vance Gray from the Jackson, the East Jackson, Lublin. We're going to take time out, and we come back. One of our favorite and most long-term contributors to the show is going to join us and talk fishing. Chad Lachance will be with us, and Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us. I think he's probably our longest uh, continuous contributor to the show. He was the first person that ever filled in on the show. Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, except for the snow, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> I've been whining about it a lot today. I imagine you got a, a fair amount out at Horse Tooth, too. You, you know, I, I'm trying not to whine about it, but I'm with you on this one, Terry. I was sitting down at the lake yesterday, the trout were going like crazy, uh, popping all over the place. It was a beautiful evening, sitting there with a cocktail, like, all right, this ain't so bad. Woke up in six inches of snow. So, uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's fine. We need the moisture. Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting tired of hearing that, too. I don't have to shovel yeah. rain. But, <laughs> hey, I got, I got something cute I want to share with you before we get into your topic. I keep in front of me a yellow notepad when I'm doing the show, and I don't have a lot of notes on it, but I, I allot like half a page in each segment that I have a time written down and who's calling and maybe a few notes, and then I have room to fill in questions as they're talking that I want to circle back to and make notes on. For you and Nate, I have your names and the time in one line. <laughs> I don't have- I don't have you any room to put any notes or fill in or ask questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we're, we're talking, no doubt about that. <laughs> well, and then you've been doing, we've been doing it together for so long, too. But, yeah, we, yep. Taking a trout from shore, you want to talk about shore fishing, but I think you want to focus on a different species. 
Well, yeah, you know, the thing is, Terry, it's probably the most common email I get or question I get is people walleyes from the shore. A lot of people don't have boats or they can't get their boats in the water yet, uh, as is the case here at Horsetooth, uh, which will open April 1st. Um, but they want to catch walleyes from the bank, and this is the time of year to do it. So it seemed appropriate. And, and, and anyone knows anything about walleyes at all knows that they spawn around this time of year, March and April. And Colorado Parks and Wildlife will be netting them up and down the, the front range of various fisheries at Chatfield and, and uh, Cherry Creek and also Pueblo. But what the reason that that's important is it lets you know that the fish are in reach of the bank. If the fish are on the bank, that's the first step. And the problem with catching walleyes from the bank is they spend a lot of time out in open water. And this time of year, they will be on the bank. So that's really important. Uh, obviously, you got to be around them first. The second thing is it's not terribly difficult to predict where on the banks they'll be because they're looking for broken rock. And that anyone that spent much time around Western reservoirs knows where that's a, a big reference to the dam faces themselves, but it may also be broken rock, natural banks as well, uh, particularly relatively steep ones and with wind or current on them. So that narrows down a whole bunch. So I don't need to be fishing, you know, flat mud banks or anything like that. I need to be looking for broken rock, relatively steep, and it's not too protected uh, such that, uh, you know, wind and waves can get on it. So that's where I'm going to fish, and that narrows a whole bunch of walleye fishing down right there. Uh, the next thing, which is even easier, is when I'm going to fish. And for me, that's the last hour of daylight and the first hour of dark. I mean, yes, I can catch them the rest of the time, but particularly this time of year, especially all night long. But if I'm trying to play my odds and hit my prime times, I'm fishing the last hour of daylight and the first hour of dark. And uh, so that narrows that down a whole bunch. And then the easy answer is get a jerk bait, only use it as a pull bait more than a jerk bait. So more of a instead of a distinct hard snap with the bait and uh and that's it that's the whole recipe so you know last hour of daylight on broken rock with the wind on it in a very methodical jerk bait retrieve and you can catch them up and down the front range well and i think uh, horse tooth and carter tend to come a little later than some of the other ones too like a lot of the chatfield walleyes are post-spawn already but I, the ice has just barely gone off if it has gone off a horse tooth, and Carter's a colder lake anyway. So I think this pattern holds close to shore a little later in the spring here, don't you? Absolutely, and horse tooth has not fully iced out. There is still ice moving around on the lake, and uh, and I had a buddy that was up at Douglas here uh, recently. A couple buddies actually were up at Douglas, and I know they're on the dam there in the dark. They One of my buddies was spotlighting them on the dam just to look and see if he could see them. And so there were tons of them on the dam up there, so I suspect they're still uh, still in their spawn phase up there. Um, and for sure, horse tooth is, is cold. I mean, there's trout running the banks of horse tooth. They're in four inches of water, even in the sun. And I mean, literally four inches of water. Uh, that are running around feeding. Horse tooth in like 36, 37 degree range. So very cold still here. Um, in fact, I'm concerned that the last raft of ice may still be on the lake on the 1st, and they may not open. I'm not totally sure if they will or not, but there is significant ice still here. Yeah, now you're talking about the walleye. pretty. What type of gear do you use to throw those? You know, a lot of people think to throw a jerkbait or a crankbait, you have to have a, a, a big rod with a bait casting uh reel on it, maybe fluorocarbon. What's the setup you use? 
for me, for sure, it's going to be a fast action spinning ride, uh, especially in the dark. Even if I was inclined to a dirt baits in the daylight, everything's harder in the dark. The last thing I want to even consider would be a, a backlash, and I don't care who you are, eventually you'll backlash if you throw a bait caster, especially in the dark because you can't see the bait at the water. Um, so I'm throwing on a spinning rod. For sure, it's braided line. My, my spinning rod, back up real quick, my spinning rod is medium power and fast action or extra fast action, and it's in the 6'6 six six to 7'0 range. The specific rod I use is 6'8 medium power extra fast. And then I use 15-pound braided line, uh, either spider wire or dirt braid. is a really good call at night because, you, again, you can't see any. Like, for instance, if you're at Carter Lake, there may be stick-ups, things like that. Abrasion uh, will be good with that line. Also, X9 braid, either one of those would be fantastic for what we're talking about. I use a short fluorocarbon leader about 12 to 18 inches long. And that leader, particularly in the dark, will be like 15 pounds because there's no point in downsizing my leader a whole bunch. I might very well hook a big walleye this time of year. And also, their visibility is not going to be an issue. And with the jerk baits we're talking about, like a, a stunner or a cutter or a hit stick or even an old school rogue, uh, all of those will do fine on the heavy leader. And so I'll use like a 15 pound, 12 to 18 inch leader. And again, it's, it's they're more of a short, you know, four to eight inch pull. And then pause, and then a short pull, and then a pause is my most money retrieved this time of year, as opposed to the very aggressive jerk pause, which I do, viewers or listeners may be familiar with, uh, which is a standard deal for me in a lot of places. But this time of year, it's more about a short little pull and then a long pause. And the pause could be a really long time, and it, it might be, you know, anywhere 5 to 15 seconds. That braided line will allow you to feel that tick. You'll just feel a distinct tick on the bait. I mean, it's the line's not tight, so you're not going to, it's not going to, you know, pull per se. You'll just feel a little tick on the line. But, uh, and keep in mind a couple other key things. If, if I have a second here, uh, one, you need to be quiet and you need to not be flashing a light in the water. If there's already ambient light there, great. That's probably even better. A dock light or something like that. But don't get your headlamp out and be flashing it all over the place or you'll spook a lot of fish. Their eyes are very sensitive. They'll know that you're there banging around. Same thing with rolling rocks. So being sneaky can be a key part of it. I want to run something by you. We've got a couple minutes yet. I want to run something by you, and that's it. In the past, years and years ago, before we had the suspending jerk baits, we used to throw a lot of the minnow-shaped floating balsa wood baits that are really a jerk bait. And you and I, fell and a lot of anglers, have fallen in love with the suspending jerk baits. Berkeley makes a number of great ones. But, you know, when you're fishing from shore, sometimes you're coming up pretty shallow. It may be deeper out, but you may have 10, 15 feet of shallow right in front of you. I've found that this time of the year is not a bad time to go back to that floating jerk bait and then let the thing float back up and take it in slow when you get close to shore and you prevent a lot of hang-ups. Absolutely, and that's why I mentioned the hit stick. Uh, the hit stick, which is a, a plastic, it's made to mimic a balsa bait in terms of action, but it's way less expensive and way more durable and way more consistent. The hit stick is a slow riser, uh, similar to the old balsa baits that you're talking about, and then I can fine-tune that if I need to with either the length or pound test of my leader. So, for instance, if I was on the Chatfield Dam, which is very flat, I would for sure gravitate to the hit stick. But if I was fishing the steeper dam of maybe, say, one of the sides of Carter or uh, some of the steep banks, I would probably choose a bait that suspends more. Uh, but at the end of the day, yes, you're correct. And the, the old floaters will still get you bites. 
and I will throw this out there. Like I said, you can fine-tune that, make that thing barely rise uh, depending on the weight of the floor carbon leader. And then the other thing is if I am throwing a suspending bait, I'll work it tip horizontal, the rod horizontal, until it's, as it gets closer to shore, I'll start working it where the rod tip's working up and down so that I'm actually popping the bait up to keep it off the bottom. But the key is you're just doing little short pulls, and if you feel it settle to the bottom, you'll know you need to work it a little bit quicker or you need to lighten your leader up. Last question. I said last one was last, but I lied. You said you're seeing a lot of trout at horse tooth. How accessible yes, and easy would they be for the anglers to come out and catch them from shore? Easy peasy. Uh, easy as it gets. Same here. Same with the Boyd. Um, just watch for the activity. I mean, they're moving around. So, for instance, I was in one spot with my neighbor kids. They wanted a few of them to eat. Went down there. It took us like 15 minutes. I went down there. Literally, one one little spot. We saw them popping. Went down there and caught them. And uh, the next day, there was no trout popping in that area at all. They were popping a quarter of a mile away. So, I'd love to tell you there's specific spots. There's not. The key is they are on the flat banks, just the opposite of the of the uh, walleyes I was just referencing. And they're running around in South Bay. You'll see them there. You'll see them up in Satanka. They're they're running around all over. So it's a matter. I've only been really addressing them in the evenings. Uh, afternoons and evenings, but they've been popping pretty much every evening. You'll see them running under the surface, and they're at some of them in inches of water. I spooked some of them yesterday that were, I mean, literally trout that are 12 to 16 inches long that are in four inches of water running right down the bank. What type of presentation? Uh, well, when my neighbor kids, you're going to laugh, Terry, but when my neighbor kids, I knew they wanted to eat some of them. So we did the European power bait retrieve method that we've got a couple of YouTube videos about where you you're using power bait, molding it into a shape, and then retrieving it like a lure as opposed to sitting there and waiting for a fish to come to it. And they just murdered them with it, and the fish are hooked outside the mouth. They're hooked on the mouth, so you can let them go if you want. But that's a fantastic one. The other thing that works really good right now is a spy bait of all the crazy things. People may not be familiar. They may have to Google that. Um, and then a small, like the little hit stick we're talking about, a little hard bait that floats because, again, these fish are right on the surface and, uh, and, and in shallow water. So it could be a really good deal. If I'm fishing deeper, I'm working at it probably a two jig. But right now I've been fishing high in the calm, and they're not the hard. These are not the giants that people may be looking for, but they're 12 to 16 or 18-inch fish. All right, my friend, we are out of time. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the snow. Thanks very much, sir. You guys have a great day. All right. Thanks, Chad. Chad Lachance, always a great contributor. We're going to take a quick time out. We come up, come back. We'll wrap things up here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and maybe banter with Dan Jacobs a little bit on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up. i got a few things I want to cover before we see if Mr. Dan Jacobs is around. First of all, a couple of things we talked about on the show today. One was wildlife watching. A survey was done both nationally and Colorado to get people's opinions on what they think about it, how they partake, and what they'd like to see changed. We have a link to that survey on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you're interested in reviewing that information, it's all there. Just follow that link. And then turkey season's coming up really quick. And we did two shows on picking out a turkey hunting shotgun and then the proper patterning, what you're looking for, chokes, types of shot. Now, the, the two of them were done with the folks from Colorado Clays, and they're on my page 
at 104.3 The Fan. You go to or sports, uh, Denver Sports. You go there, click on my page, and just scroll down. You'll see that the last two Colorado Clays podcasts are about turkey hunting. But what I also did last week was I took the second one, which covers a lot of the information, and put that out on our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And we a lot of what's on this show, we feature the podcast during the week on the Facebook page for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And also upcoming things, if there's something special coming up, if there's an event going on, or if Karen and I are in the field and we've got something to report, we put there. So follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And also follow our music um, our music entities there, Wickstrom and Dobrith. Um, I'm doing something different. I'm, I'm taking a guitar, a less expensive one that I bought at a pawn shop, and I'm learning how to do a setup and readjust the string heights in the action. And I'm going to apply that to some of my more expensive guitars after I practice a little bit. And we'll kind of keep you posted on how that's going. In fact, later on today, a Hall of Fame uh, instrumentalist is going to be joining me to evaluate one of them that I did. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. And that's on Wickstrom and Dobrith, social media and your favorite streaming site. Is Dan Jacobs in the, in the studio? I guess Mr. Jacobs isn't there yet. So I guess we'll just finish the show by ourselves. all right? I was going to ask Mr. Jacobs what he felt about the fact that uh, this is the first time in history of the NCAA basketball tournament that a number one seed hasn't made it to the Elite Eight. First time ever. That shows you how wide open this tournament was this year. Also, it'll be the third time in the history of the tournament that a number one seed hasn't made it to the final four. So I was, if you've got a bracket out there that you feel like it's busted and you have no hope, remember, everybody's bracket is busted right now. So hang in there. Uh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be really interesting out there. The other thing I was going to talk to uh, Dan Jacobs about is I wanted to see how he feels about some of the moves that I'd like to say Peyton squared. You know, we got the coach Peyton, the general manager Peyton. Of course, they spell their last names different. Wanted to see if any of the moves really jumped out at him, whether it's bolstering the offensive line or uh, maybe it's maybe it's uh, the receiver or running back he brought that he had at, with him at the Saints who, you know, probably weren't that in high demand across the league but they thrived in his system. So that's going to be interesting to, to see how that all plays out. It'll be interesting to see how things play out uh, in general, you know, with the quarterback. Uh, I was wanted to talk to Dan if he thinks that uh, Wilson can come back and have a, maybe not an all-pro year, but a more than a better than average quarterback here and if the system will help him. So hopefully if Dan joins us the show here in a little bit, he'll answer those questions for you folks. Now, in the meantime, I want to say thanks to Dante, keeping us on the air, keeping things flowing, making things run from the studios down in Denver. And then thanks to Karen for, uh, first of all, she gets me out of bed in the morning, makes sure I'm ready and here with coffee to do the show. But the work she puts in during the week, keeping me online on track, making sure I'm getting my homework done. So if you enjoy this show, join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. Follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, 
We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 104.3 The Fan.